Welcome to Live at the National Constitution Center. I'm Jackie McDermott, the show's producer. This week, the National Constitution Center and With Honor Action, a group dedicated to promoting the leadership of veterans in public service, joined to present a program on the state of Congress. NCC President Jeffrey Rosen was joined by members of the Four Country Caucus, a bipartisan group of military veterans serving in Congress. Here's Jeff to get the conversation started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the National Constitution Center and to today's convening of America's Town Hall. I am Jeffrey Rosen, the president and CEO of this wonderful institution, and let us inspire ourselves for what I know will be an inspiring conversation by reciting the National Constitution Center's mission statement. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to increase awareness and understanding of the U.S. Constitution among the American people on a nonpartisan basis. Friends, it is so meaningful to be co-hosting today's convening with With Honor Action. Uh, With Honor Action is a cross-partisan movement dedicated to promoting and advancing principled veteran leadership in elected public service. And I'd like to thank Rye Barcote, uh, Rory Steele and Greg Honan, and the rest of the great team at With Honor Action for their collaboration on tonight's panel. And uh, we've convened today uh, four of uh, America's uh, most distinguished representatives, all of whom are committed to the missions of the National Constitution Center and with honor, and indeed have formed uh, an organization, the Four Country Caucus, which provides principled military veteran members a platform to work in a nonpartisan way and create a more productive government. Uh, Each of them has distinguished um, themselves by resisting partisan pressures on really important matters. They've been profiles in courage, and it's so exciting to convene them to talk concretely about what they're planning to do with the Four Country Caucus to promote nonpartisan deliberation on which the future of the public depends. So let me, their, their, their biographies are also incredibly inspiring. And because we want to get started, I'm not going to read them at length, but check them out on the web and you will be moved by their remarkable biographies and uh, public service. So I'm going to introduce them in alphabetical order. Uh, Representative Jared Golden represents the second district of Maine in the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, where he serves on the Small Business Committee and the Armed Services Committee. He is co-chair of the Four Country Caucus and previously served in the Marines and the Maine House of Representatives. Representative Chrissy Houlihan is the first woman ever to represent Pennsylvania's 6th District in Congress, where she currently serves. She serves on the House Armed Services Committee, uh, the Foreign Foreign Affairs Committee, and the Small Business Committee, and she co-founded the Four Country Caucus, as well as the Service Women and Women Veterans Caucus. She is also an Air Force veteran, engineer, entrepreneur, and educator, uh, including teaching history and civics. Uh, Congressman Peter Meyer represents the 3rd District of Michigan in the House of Representatives. He serves on the Committee on Homeland Security. He's a ranking member of the Subcommittee on Oversight Management and Accountability. He's a member of the Four Country Caucus, as well as the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. He previously served in the Army Reserve and a veteran-based disaster response organization. And Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks represents the 2nd District of Iowa. She serves on the Education and Labor Committee, among others, and served in the Army for 24 years as a private nurse and doctor, as well as director of the Iowa Department of Public Health and a member of the Iowa State Senate. It is such an honor to convene all of you, uh, Representatives Golden, 
Puhan, Meyer, and uh, Miller Meeks. Representative Golden, let me begin with you. You helped co-found the Four Country Caucus, which is dedicated to promoting uh, bipartisan solutions and putting country before party. Tell me um, concretely, what are some of the reforms that the Four Country Caucus is proposing uh, that you think will help us achieve that crucially important goal? Thank you, Jeff, for, yeah, for the question. I do have to make sure uh, in front of my colleagues uh, that I don't take credit for co-founding the Four Country Caucus, uh, especially with, with Representative uh, Houlihan here with us today. Uh, in fact, in the last Congress, the, the caucus came together for the first time. I was just a rank and file member, and uh, Rep. Houlihan was was one of the first was one of the first vice chairs. Um, you know, I think everyone gets credit for the the founding of, of the caucus. Uh, it it started out as a smaller group. It is now a larger uh, caucus in in this Congress. So we have, I believe, twenty five of us, fifteen Republicans, and ten Democrats. Uh, and I, I feel very honored to to be one of the co-chairs in, in this Congress, Jeffrey. Um, you know, one thing that we looked at uh, and successfully as the caucus advocated for and got into the House rules uh, was something called the uh, 290 rule, which was that if you could get 290 co-sponsors of a bill as, as an individual member of Congress, uh, take your legislation. If you can show that 290 members will support that legislation by signing on to it as a co-sponsor, you can bypass the chairs uh, in the committee uh, and bring that directly to the House floor for a vote. Uh, that that really empowers individual members and encourages a approach uh, where you seek bipartisanship. Uh, it's, there are not 290 uh, Democrats or 290 Republicans in the Congress. So if you want to go this route, uh, then you're going to need some bipartisan support. We thought that that was a good approach, and it's a big change uh, and one that we were successful in getting. I. I'm a big believer this one would impact the Democratic caucus more, Jeffrey, but I'm a big believer in um, some kind of reforms which would put in uh, term limits of sorts on how long you can chair a specific committee. Uh, I believe that the GOP actually does this. Uh, I think that that would be uh, an important step. Uh, Much of what I support, and I'm going to wrap it up here uh, without getting into any specifics, but much of what I support uh, will either empower individual members uh, change the Congress from just being all purely about seniority and time and place, uh, you know, create some turnover, uh, get new thoughts and ideas and new people uh, in charge. A lot of this, I think, comes uh, from my time in the military, where I was taught that everyone has leadership to bring to the table. Everyone brings value to the team. Uh, and Congress doesn't always, I think, see it that way. We hear many of our colleagues talk uh, about you got to pay your dues. Uh, and they engage that in decades, uh, not years. So uh, I, I think that the place would be well served uh, with the types of reforms that will push new leaders out. And I don't mean young necessarily, new leaders out into the forefront. The country benefits when we have everyone leading. Thank you for that great introduction for those very specific proposals about reform of the 290 rule and empowering individual members, including with term limits, and that is just a great way to begin the discussion. Uh, Representative Houlihan, thank you for co-founding the caucus, as as, uh, uh, Representative Golden reminds us. What concrete reforms would you propose to achieve its goals? Well, and thanks very much for having us all, and and Jared is right in saying that this is a team effort, and I think that's something that's um, 
why I think a bunch of veterans started something like this. And before I, you know, talk a little bit about some reforms, I will go back all the way to the inception of this idea. What's remarkable about the Four Country Caucus for me is that it's um, it's a club. That's you know fundamentally how I describe that to the to the junior high and high school kids, and sometimes to the college kids that I talk to. When you go to Congress, you join clubs, caucuses. Uh, this particular caucus, the Four Country Caucus is very unique in that it is a group of people who don't really have a ton in common other than the fact that they served in uniform. We are very, very different ideologically. We come from really, really different places, and we're trying really hard to find the common ground. We're trying to find things that we can agree on, and we're also trying to build uh, camaraderie uh, relationships, and we're trying to lead by example, and we're trying to lead with civility and decency. And so some concrete things that we could do is just to have some decorum. I think that's one thing that you learn uh, when you are in the military. And I served, as you mentioned, in the Air Force, but my dad and my grandfather were career naval officers. And so one of the things that I was raised on is never really, frankly, to talk about partisanship, uh, but really to talk about the mission. Uh, and that is something that I think we could benefit from in Congress uh, the same way that we can in the, in the military itself. So some of the things that I would say uh, in terms of concrete reforms, you know, Jared talked a little bit about the 290 rule. There's a lot of conversation about returning to what is called regular order, which, you know, again, kind of empowers uh, committee members and committee leaders in a way that we're not used to right now in the Congress. My understanding from people like Jared who have served in Congress, uh, in Congress in states is that other states, states in general are much more uh, high functioning and high performing performing than they are in the body, the national body itself. Uh, we've evolved into an organism that really favors uh, seniority, as Jared talked about, that really uh, favors how long you've been there uh, and really favors the leadership over the individual rank and file. I was struck when I joined Congress as an example. My background, as you mentioned, is in engineering. Uh, I'm a kind of a uh, a supply chain person is my, my kind of engineering. And I was really interested in joining the uh, Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. And I did my very best to advocate for the fact that I really knew, you know, something about that. Uh, I'm also an engineer. I really wanted to, you know, lend that, that credibility and experience. And the response that I got from, you know, folks was, wait your turn, you know, sit back and relax. It's going to be a couple decades before you have the opportunity to influence, you know, things that you know something about, because that's not how this organization works. So a lot of the reforms that we're talking about don't necessarily uh, come to 290 rules or regular order or debate on the House floor. They just come to kind of common sense. How do you use the team that you have and the skills that they have? Um, and well, as I wrap up, I'll say, you know, I was a high school teacher. I'll correct you a little bit. I was a high school chemistry teacher. I have girls as well and uh, uh, grown girls at this point. We know how to organize a schedule that allows everybody to be at different places at different times. This is not how Congress runs. We run so that we're all at three different places at the same time. And that does not create camaraderie. It doesn't, you know, uh, create the opportunity to work together. And it's, I believe, in some ways, a deliberate strategy to keep us separated and apart from one another. And with that, I'll conclude and I'll yield back. And thanks for having us again. Thank you so much. Such uh, helpful concrete reforms, including not only the 290 rule, but a, reform to, a return to regular order, the rise of civility. And I was inspired. It, it was your, you went on after teaching chemistry to found a nonprofit helping thousands of underserved students build their literacy skills. And that was the civics part that I was so excited <laughs> about. But your service has been amazing across a range of institutions. Uh, Representative Meyer, like everyone on this panel, you've uh, taken significant heat for, uh, for resisting your party on important issues. 
just as the uh, representatives Golden and Houlihan have voted against uh, some Democratic priorities. So you have notably uh, voted for the impeachment of uh, former President uh, Trump, as well as for a bipartisan commission uh, to investigate the events of January 6th. As you listen to your Democratic colleagues, uh, do you agree with their proposals? And what proposals do you have for restoring the guardrails of democracy and promoting nonpartisanship in Congress? Thank you, Jeff. And I have to say, when, when Chrissy said it feels a little intentional, right, that, that we it, it's easier to keep the two sides apart, you know, heaven forfend. Um, some folks realize there are areas of common ground and then potentially weaken um, that, that general pull to one side or the other. I think we see that a lot in some of the legislative items that have been put forward. And, and I don't mean this in a, a partisan way. I'm sure it's a bipartisan affliction. Uh, but as a freshman member, I haven't known anything but um, a, a Democratic majority. But, you know, we'll look at a, a piece of legislation and um, sometimes it's because it was passed in the previous Congress. And so there's a grace period where if it wasn't taken up by the Senate, it'd get reintroduced. But frankly, we see this in some spending bills and omnibus packages as well where you'll have multiple discrete areas of interest uh, and rather than try to have, which may be a more frustrating from a, a transformational standpoint, but an incremental patient deliberative process where you can vote on certain areas contained within a larger package, everything becomes an all or nothing. Everything becomes a must pass and you, you really lose that ability to capture a lot, uh, but to Chrissy's point, to capture a lot of the knowledge and insight that may not be embedded within a committee, right? There used to be floor amendments in that era of regular order. And for sure, there were some folks who may abuse those and it may take up a little more time, but you also have the ability to bring in knowledge or bring in a perspective that may not be represented on that committee or may not be beholden uh, to to whoever is in charge and, and running that schedule or running that, that amendment calendar uh, in order to, you know, really add value to some of these legislative items. Um, and to that broader point, COVID was dealt with by, in different ways by, by both parties, and there were varying degrees of, of precautions. And I think one thing that really led to was an aura of not just suspicion of partisan motives, but then that extending into many other areas. Now you compound January 6th and you have um, just all these ways in which Republicans and Democrats see each other through hostile lenses. I'm grateful for some of the bipartisan caucuses that I'm a part of, including for country, because this actually allows us a chance to sit down, talk through some areas, find surprising areas of agreement that may not fall neatly along partisan lines. I mean, I think that's one of the um, one of the frustrations with a, a two party system is that doesn't always match ideologically. Uh, I think of the work that, that Jared and I have been doing on war powers reform and on authorizations for the use of military force. There's not really a Republican or a Democrat approach to that. I mean, a lot of this has to do with um, a belief in, in government role and, and specifically within that between the executive and the legislative when it comes to war making. So any opportunity for that to be expanded upon, I think, is incredibly positive, um, especially when you have most interactions in pre-COVID times taking place in committees that are very firmly structured. And when everyone is kind of preening for the cameras and trying to get in your soundbite, it creates a very different atmosphere than I think many of us have felt in the closed door hearings that we've had, where you see how much people are actually looking for information 
information rather than trying to tailor how they are asking a question or what answer they want to get to a narrowly targeted audience. Screening for a camera, looking for the next soundbite, that's a really powerful way of putting the incredible pressure that transparency puts on partisanship. And just as you say, when people have to play to their base, uh, it's much harder to engage in the kind of bipartisan deliberation that all of you champion. We have a question in the chat about, um, did anyone support the challenges to certifying the Electoral College uh, vote? And Representative Miller-Meeks, you uh, did not uh, support that, uh, which took uh, great um, uh, fortitude since since most of your colleagues did. So I, I guess I'll, as you, as you in this round identify what reforms you think would be helpful to promote bipartisanship, describe what it was like to be in Congress and to resist that sort of partisan pressure. What enabled you to do it? And what would you propose that would enable others to be similarly uh, nonpartisan uh, positions? Well, it's interesting you asked that question since this is the National Constitution Center. And uh, so um, I actually uh, based my vote on the Constitution. So I looked at the Constitution. What were the provisions in the Constitution? Um, I'm from a small state in Iowa. So the Electoral College uh, is extremely important to our state. Um, and the Electoral College vote is it uh, uh, versus the national popular vote. I had been defending the Electoral College for two years as a state senator. Uh, because it has importance. So constitutionally, what what is Congress supposed to do when it comes to the electors? What's the uh, province of the 10th Amendment and states' rights? What's the province of uh, constitutionally that states have the authority to conduct elections? So I looked at it from a constitutional standpoint. And given that I'm a military veteran and I swore an oath to defend the Constitution, I felt that my duty was to have respect for the Constitution as our rule of law. Um, so there were certainly uh, people on, uh, you know, both sides of this issue, especially within the Republican Party. Uh, but for me, the decision, I felt very comfortable in my decision. I was very calm about my decision because I was basing it on the principle of the rule of law and the Constitution uh, and, uh, you know, support for my, my state, for our states to be able to conduct elections. We had passed some very hard fought election law changes. Uh, with our voter ID. Those things are not easy to do within a state. People think that they're easy, but they're not easy, even when you have a majority uh, of a particular party. Um, and because of that, I felt very comfortable in my decision to vote uh, to certify the electors. Had the states sent us multiple slates of electors, then it would have been a different matter. Uh, we would have had a choice, but states uh, have the authority to send forth their slate of electors. And our job in Congress is uh, to uh, certify what the states have sent us. Uh, so from that standpoint, um, yes, it was hard because there were a lot of different opinions and uh, there was pressure, but nonetheless, I felt calm that I was doing the right thing and I could explain my, my vote uh, for certification of electors based on constitution, constitutional principles. As far as, um, you know, how do we, you know, what concrete solutions for bipartisanship? Uh, uh, Representative Meyer and I are both new. We both came into Congress uh, during the pandemic uh, so we had uh, some challenges on swearing in day on January 3rd. Uh, we had challenges with uh, January 6th. Uh, then we had challenges with the impeachment. And we have not had an, um, you know, an opportunity until very recently to really meet and interact with, uh, with our colleagues. And that's on both sides of the aisle. So whether it be face to face or whether it be in small groups, that's been lacking. So I will say that I really appreciated the opportunities in the four country caucus because we actually do discuss you know, bills, uh, we look for um, avenues of bipartisanship. I passed four bills two weeks ago. 
These were all bipartisan bills, all with members of four country caucus with uh, veterans uh, and bills that were in, um, you know, through uh, veterans committee onto the floor. So I think if you look and you seek for ways to be bipartisan, that's helpful. That goes back to what Representative Houlihan said on civility. Um, I do think regular order would be helpful. And I agree with Jared in the on the Republican side. We are term limited for uh, committee chairs. And I think that helps bring new blood in, whether the blood is from an older person or from a young person. You know, we all have a perspective that we bring to Congress. Uh, and I think that that's helpful. And then I'm going to tell you what I did in the state Senate. And, and my uh, we were in the majority in the state Senate. And I was uh, even as an incoming member was chair of human services, which is one of the largest uh, committees and areas of appropriation in a state budget. And um, I believe in the golden rule, treat others how you wanna be treated. So I try to treat people with dignity, respect, uh, and look for opportunities where we can uh, reach common ground and move things forward. You know, we're, and also I think uh, Representative Houlihan said this, so both, uh, all three of them actually have said this, but um, you know, when you're in the military, you focus on a mission. So I'm here to, to you know, execute and to achieve a mission. I'm not here for sound bites. I'm not here uh, for TV time. Uh, we have a job to do and we represent um, our states and our country. Uh, and I want both my state, and my country to be proud of me. Well, both your state, your country, and I know everyone watching this is proud of you in, for your inspiring defense of the Constitution of the United States. Your uh, patriotic service and putting Constitution above uh, party is precisely what the founders of the Constitution hoped that representatives would do when they created the Constitution. And it's very inspiring to hear you talk about it. So thanks to you and to all of you for your service in that respect. It was so moving to hear you talk about that concrete choice you faced. Maybe I'll ask uh, you, uh, Representative Golden, to talk uh, similarly. You've said that you often remind yourself just because uh, you can do something doesn't mean you should. It doesn't mean it's in the best interest of the country. For that reason, you have been an opponent of passing bills through uh, you know, budget reconciliation. You, you don't support ending the filibuster, and you've opposed your party on pandemic relief and gun control bills, uh, although you support public financing of elections. So you know, talk about the, the, the cultural, technological, political pressures you've felt when you've decided to uh, break ranks in areas like this. And what are some of the cultural, institutional, or even moral uh, changes that you think would help others uh, take similarly principled positions? Well, I've certainly become familiar with uh, going it alone uh, at times. Uh, as a member of the House Democratic Caucus, uh, certainly with the American Rescue Plan, um, I was the only Democrat, um, actually the only Democrat in the nation uh, to vote against that. And I, you know, I could take the whole answer if we talk about my rationale behind that. Um, and um, Geez, you know, I've, there's been some some times where I've been there too. I, you named a couple of them. Uh, the first big one uh, I will say was, was with uh, the first round, the first impeachment uh, of former President Trump, where I uh, split my vote, uh, voting uh, in favor of the first article, the abuse of power, which I thought was very clear um, and clearly impeachable. Um, and you want to talk about the founders. I mean, you go back and read the Federalist Papers about what they had to say about foreign, their fears of, of foreign influence, certainly in a much different context, uh, you know, as we were a much weaker nation then than we are today. But uh, I still think they would be appalled, uh, not only at that instance, but any any kind of foreign influence in our, in our domestic affairs and, and, and politics. I think they would just be, you know, their hair would be on fire uh, and they'd be very alarmed. Um the second article, however, I didn't end up supporting. 
Uh, and I thought that the issues of executive privilege versus the subpoena power of Congress were very important, very sensitive. Um, I played a bit of a game where I reimagined the outcome of the 2016 election. And, uh, you know, maybe someone could imagine some GOP, uh, you know, chair, if they were in control of the House of Representatives, wanted to do some kind of hearings and then maybe building towards the impeachment of a President Clinton over like the Benghazi affair. And wouldn't she have exercised executive privilege? Likely, um, you know, you got to put yourself sometimes uh, you're in a different position and imagine what could have been or what could be coming down the road in the future. Um, I thought it was important for the country that we uh, use that subpoena power uh, you know, to the greatest extent that we could uh, and, and coming up against a stubborn executive that we bring into the courts. I just thought that establishing that process was, was very important. And I felt patient about the impeachment process itself. I didn't feel a need to rush through it, even though many people said in an election year, you want this behind you, not in front of you. Uh, I said, whatever's best for the country, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Let's get it right. And I don't think we crossed our T's and dotted our I's. And when it comes to impeachment in the presidency of the United States, the place that I started was to say that uh, my standard is that I'm a no until uh, I have gathered the evidence and the information where there's no other choice but to be yes. And so that's how I ended up yes on abuse of power and no on the uh, obstruction uh, of Congress because I felt like we had not uh, done our due diligence uh, and we had not done our part uh, in the process in, in taking that to the court. So, um, you know, that, that just explains the decision. Jeffrey, boy, you want to talk about pressure. Uh, and blowback uh, nationally um, and, and locally. Uh, I just, you got to do what you, what's in your heart and what you think is right for the country. Uh, the bigger the vote, the more important that is. Uh, and I've done that a number of times now, uh, and I never regret it. Uh, I put the work in, uh, my staff puts the work in and, and, and to you know have confidence in the decisions that we make. Uh, and then we go out there and we communicate uh, how we got there. And I think often what I hear, Jeffrey, from people is, particularly in Washington or, or national reporters and others, is, boy, Golden must be in the hot seat back home in his district with his base, with the Democrats. Oh, not so. Um, you know, what I get from people is uh, big kudos and thank yous for the clear communication that I put out, not just uh, about my vote decision, but the whole process. I show people how I, how I started and how I got there. And I, the number of people that reach out and say, you know what, I didn't agree with your decision, but boy, do I like seeing the process that you took to get there. It makes me feel comfortable with you as my representative. And I get that from Democrats and Republicans. Uh, you know, I just outperformed uh, our current president, President Biden, in my district by 30,000 votes, more than any other Democrat in, in the country. And, you know, people tell me all the time, you'll never get Republican support, Jared. So why, you know, why would you ever you know, break ranks with your party? You know, that's just not the way it's done anymore. It's all about the base. Not true. Uh, I don't believe, I know it's not true in my district. I don't think my district is special. I don't think it's true in, in much of the rest of the country. Uh, at least those, not in those that have you know, not been overly gerrymandered. But uh, the longer I've been doing this, and this is my last just you know, bit, Jeffrey, the longer I've been doing this, and I haven't been doing it long, obviously. Uh, but in particular, since January 6th, I walked out of January 6th and I said, that's it, gloves off. From here on out, 
on every uh, issue and, and, and on the biggest issues in particular, I'm just going to do exactly what is in my heart. Uh, I'm not going to stop and worry about the politics of left and right. The fact that I'm in a Trump district or that my base might be upset. That's not why I'm here. It's such a blessing to be in this position. Less than 11,000 Americans have done this in the history of the United States of America. We're lucky and privileged to be in this position. And I don't want to have a single regret when it's all said and done. So that's just how I carry myself in making these decisions. Wow. You've got to do what in your heart you think is right. Uh, That is the definition of a profile in courage. And you grew up uh, listening to John F. Kennedy speeches in a rural Maine county, and you are embodying the profiles and courage that he wrote about in his famous book. Uh, Representative Houlihan, tell us about one of the toughest votes you've cast where you've uh, resisted uh, partisan pressures, uh, what it was like and how you feel empowered to do what a lot of your colleagues are not doing. It's interesting. I'd like, I'd like if it's okay to take a bit of a step back because some of the things that Jared was talking about are some of the reasons why I find Four Country to be such a compelling group of people. We all take different paths to the decisions that we make on behalf of the communities that we represent. And we all do our very best to lead with our hearts and to listen. And that may lead us to different decisions and to different votes. And that's okay. You know, and that's what's so important is that we're here, as, as Jared said, it's, it's an enormous privilege to be here uh, and to be of service in this way. But I guess what I would say, if it's all right to answer your question, is I'd rather focus on the things that never happen rather than the things that do happen. And I think that's one of the things that I never really understood as a person who's never served in this way before, is that what's important as much as anything is the votes that never occur. Uh, and the influence that you have to be able to say to your party, hey, you, c- you can bring that to a vote, but you're not, you don't have the votes, you know, or you need to modify this because I can't support that. And that's a helpful, you know, superpower of, in some ways that I think that people don't understand when I'm back home in my community, which is purple, 40, 40, 20, roughly speaking, you know, has, has been Republican for 163 years before I joined uh, in 2018 is you should see the things that never happened, you know, on the floor uh, of the House of Representatives. And those are the kinds of things that I, I frankly feel like I'm most proud of, but I also feel as though I need to learn more about how to use those levers. I'm also new. I've only been here, you know, for two and a half years, didn't have experience in the House of uh, Representatives in or the Senate in my state. And I definitely am starting to, you know, kind of understand where our levers are, where we are able to assert influence and power at the beginning of processes rather than, you know, having to answer to them at the end. Uh, but those are some of the things that I'm, I'm most proud of. I was one of the people who co-authored the, the uh, Washington Post um, article, which asked for impeachment proceedings to begin. This was similar to Jared and his experience, something that I never wanted to do. I never really wanted to come here to um, impeach a president once, let alone twice. Um, But, you know, in my in my heart of hearts, decided that that was the thing that unfortunately I had to do. And I think that uh, Jared is right in articulating how important it is to be transparent and, and communicate frequently and often with your community about the processes that you're going through and why you're thinking the way that you're thinking. I think it's really important for them to understand that you are doing your very best to listen to everybody in your community and do your very best to not only represent them, but in some cases to lead. Uh, And that's sometimes when I get frustrated with some of my colleagues when they say, you should see how angry my community is. They think 
X, Y, and Z. And so therefore I'm, and yes, you're responsible for, you know, hearing and listening to your community, but sometimes you're also responsible for leading them. And that means sometimes making difficult choices and, and in some cases uh, voting or acting in a way that may not be exactly what all of your community would like you to do. You're getting a lot of nods from your colleagues uh, about all that. And you're so uh, right to focus on the votes that don't occur as being as important as those that do. Uh, Representative Meyer, you uh, were one of a handful of Republicans to vote for impeachment. Um, what was it like? What was the pushback like? And what conception of your role as a representative led you to take that principled uh, position? Before I answer that, Jeff, I want to say, um, listening especially to Marionette and, and Jared, um, I think nothing, there's nothing like having to defend a tough vote to make you an expert in all of the different arguments for and against and getting, you know, I, I, someone will come up and talk to me and I'll be like, okay, which, which, what, what is the objection? Okay. Now I understand. And, and I'm kind of working through that. And if it involves going back to the electoral count act of 1887 and going line by line, then we can do that. But, um, you know, obviously January 6th was something, um, none of us foresaw or, or wanted to have happen. Um, and it was, um, I mean, to Chrissy says, you know, never didn't want to come to Congress to, to impeach a president once, let alone twice. I, I certainly didn't want to come to Congress to do the same to a member of my own party. But, um, you know, it, it and, and this is where when I talk about those tough votes, you know, oftentimes it's because we've argued it both ways with ourselves. It's not just a, a hypothetical of how do I defend this. It's um, there is a, a, a deliberative process that involves external parties where, you know, I might talk to a colleague and say, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it this way. What do you think? And, and that, that bounce back, um, back and forth of, you know, trying to sharpen and hone and, and bring in information that you maybe don't have. Um, and then there's also just that internal deliberation. So I, um, I, don't want to dwell on it too much, but obviously it was uh, highly unpleasant um, and, and probably a, a deliberative process that left me um, both, to, to Jared's point, um, questioning, you know, how much, how do I ensure that I'm not just making a decision with my best political prospects in mind, um, but in what I feel is is the right direction for the country. Um, and everyone's going to arrive at that at, at, in different ways. Um, I, when I say I, I fully respect, you know, folks who, who chose a different vote that day, because I could easily see myself having done it. I just, I couldn't get there. Um, but it was, there is a certain um, clarifying feel to not walking on pins and needles and multiple tight ropes um, and being able to express kind of openly and, and clearly um, how you feel and, and how you arrived at that. And, and frankly, um, in an era where people are disgusted by politics and frustrated by politicians and increasingly cynical and, and despondent, um, breaking from the path, uh, I've at least found uh, is, is even if it's, even if folks vehemently disagree um, with with the result you've arrived at, even if that is is pushed back upon strongly, um, I, I've had you know uh, activists that I've known for a while that will 
tear in on a on a county GOP Zoom, and then afterwards pick up the phone and say, you know what? Again, still disagree, but appreciate the fact that you had a reason and, and you stuck to your principles. Um, now that's that offers some cold comfort at times, but um, you know I, I certainly think it's important uh, to to step back and remember why we ran and, and what we're, we're doing. And I think it's oftentimes, um, at least I've, I've seen this temptation and I've tried to, to steer clear of it, get into the cycle of, well, I know I should vote one way, but I will vote another because I need to make sure I'm reelected in order to do this other more important thing. And and that rationalization in the moment may be appropriate and may make sense. And, and what is this one vote that no one will remember um, versus, um, you know, this incredibly important you know, issue, which is why I ran for office. But those kind of moral surrenders add up and up and up. And, and I think... Um, at, at a certain point can become confusing and you forget why you were there. And, and I want to make sure to nip that temptation in the bud um, and, and be able to speak honestly, speak forthrightly. Uh, and as, as Jared defending splitting uh, on the, the first impeachment vote and Marionette on the certification, um, you know, we certainly do talk about these issues a lot because people have a lot of questions. But at the same time, uh, the amount of folks who have come up to me in uh, a small group setting uh, or one-on-one -on -one and, and ask me a pointed question, and when they realize that these are not knee-jerk reactions, that these were deeply thought out and, and deeply reasoned opinions, even if at the end of the day they don't agree, uh, there still is an appreciation and a respect because um, it, it just doesn't fit into a narrow, a narrow narrative that we're all, um, you know, cowed or just reacting one way or the other. I've, I've, I have not been, I've been incredibly impressed at, at some of the colleagues that I've gotten to know that showed um, just an incredibly uh, thoughtful um, perspective and, and deeply searching and, and wanting above all, frankly, to honor the oath to the Constitution that we all have sworn. Wow. Hearing all of you talk about honoring the Constitution, making decisions in the long-term best interest of the country rather than the short-term interest of the party, as you just put it, uh, uh, avoiding moral surrender, and then that clarifying feeling you just described of breaking from a path that leads people to respect you for sticking to your principles is exactly what Madison had in mind. That That is what is the point of uh, Federalist 10 and resisting factions or uh, groups animated by passion rather than reason so that you can serve uh, the long-term interests of the country and the public good. And it's it's very powerful to hear you say that that can actually uh, lead people to uh, respect you rather than um, the opposite. Uh, Representative Miller-Meeks, you, you gave us an incredible example already of, of the uh, vote about the electoral certification. If there's another tough decision you want to share, that would be great. And, and then maybe amplify on what your colleagues have said about the fact that in the end, uh, you do get respected for sticking by your guns and voting for principle rather than party. Well, um, I'll give you two examples, but first I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, detour and take speaker's privilege and uh, congratulate Representative Golden on his, uh, the birth of his child. So <laughs> I haven't had a chance to do that in person, but congratulations, uh, Representative Golden. Congratulations, Jared. Oh my God, thank you so much. Uh, she's three weeks old, just over three weeks. She's wonderful. I'm enjoying every minute. But if you, anyway, if you wondered, wondered why I was drinking coffee, uh, you know, I 
seven o'clock at night, almost eight o'clock at night, because I'm still going to be able to fall asleep because uh, we're all tired. But it's it's just been great. And, and that, Mary, I thank you so much. Well, I was wondering if you were being kept awake at night. Uh, you know, for me, it was here. So uh, hopefully for you, it'll be uh, less time than that. Um, so uh, uh, two votes and uh, one I thought would be much more problematic than that was. And that was the Violence Against Women's Act. Uh, there were certainly parts of that uh, that I did not agree with, uh, but having uh, worked with uh, domestic violence shelters, having done uh, volunteer work at community health centers and uh, free clinics, and then uh, having raised both a son and a daughter and um, uh, our daughter having uh, had uh, uh, an issue with stalking, um, that was an issue that was important for me to be able to send a message of support to women, um, even though there were things within that bill that I did not like. I actually thought since I was the only one of our Iowa delegation Republicans that voted for it, uh, that it would be problematic. And it turned out uh, that I, I didn't hear anything about it. Uh, most recently, however, it was my vote on the commission. Uh, and um, so I'll be participating in Zoom in a little bit with, uh, with a, a county Republican uh, a central committee meeting. And so, um, but I think what's great is um, what all of my colleagues have said. And that is, and uh, actually, uh, Jeff, you've said it also, and it's Madison, uh, that we're animated by passion and not by reason. So I have a reason for why I vote, and I have to be clear in my mind why it is so that I can explain it to people. So I think when you're voting, especially if you're voting against your party, uh, that have concrete rationale for why you do what you do, be willing to be transparent about it, be willing to uh, to go out on the day after the vote for the uh, for the commission, I was at a central committee meeting um, and explained why I voted the way I voted. What was my rationale point by point, what I was hoping to achieve, acknowledging their concerns and that we may not agree with one another, but at least they knew that I rationally approached it and why I approached it in the way that I did. Most of the time, that's OK. Sometimes it's not. Um, but I think if you do that, it's very helpful. The other thing that I think was some advice I got uh, right as I got into Congress, uh, and that was uh, to um, to have somebody that has served in Congress but is no longer in Congress, so that you can talk to them about things because they're not in Congress. So it's and I can see some heads nodding. So um, that's helped me also. So I have uh, two people that I contact that um, you know one from Iowa, one that's not from Iowa, um, and it helps me to gain perspective. And then I think. Um, I hope that uh, the level of humility that I have now, I will continue to have. We are here just a small, small, uh, small part in time. We are not all knowing. We are not, um, you know, all thinking. Uh, and there will be someone who will replace us. So, you know, something has to withstand us beyond our time in Congress, and that's the Constitution and the rule of law. And so I think there are things that supersede us that are more important than our tenure in Congress. So we should do the, the good that we can, try not to ruin the institutions that are there that have kept us this uh, great nation for, you know, 250 years so that, you know, somebody else can come up when our time has passed and have that same foundation upon which to build. Gosh, I, I, I feel like I uh, like Madison is indeed uh, smiling at this discussion because you put it so well. The Constitution and the rule of law are more important than the individual careers of any representative. And that crucial element of transparency and a willingness to explain your reasons to your constituents 
is what he thought the whole system would stand or fall on. The conventional wisdom was that in a large republic, people wouldn't know their representatives and they'd be animated by passion. But Madison was confident that if representatives took the time to explain their reasons using the new technology of newspapers, which he thought would have a commerce of ideas that would slowly spread reason across the land, uh, therefore we could survive. I'm, I'm smiling, of course, because our current uh, Twitter uh, world is so very different from that uh, republic of reason that he anticipated, And uh, but, but all of you are providing a way forward. All right, th- our time is precious. We have 10 minutes, which probably means there's time for one substantive intervention each. And I want to say this, the Constitution Center has started a new initiative uh, to restore the guardrails of democracy. And essentially, we're trying to do at the Constitution Center what you're trying to do in Congress, which is to identify the reforms, the uh, political, uh, technological, and cultural reforms that could help restore this devotion to the Constitution and the rule of law. So I'll just ask you to be as broad or specific as you like. I'm going to hope to reconvene all of you to enlist you in this initiative so you can help us identify reforms. But starting um, uh, with you, uh, Representative Golden, what uh, guardrails of democracy do you want to put on the table that will allow everyone to uh, play the role that each of you is uh, playing? And, you know, how how can the Constitution Center help your great caucus uh, collect this so we can make a real difference? Jeez. Um, We need a lot of guardrails, Jeffrey. I I think you would agree. Um, You know, a lot of times I, 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 I think you would agree that, uh, that the founders were really brilliant people. Uh, and not just the founders, but many of the people that stood uh, behind them uh, in their in their families and, and and many other leaders throughout the history of the country. And um, while while I think it is always fine to search for for new solutions and important uh, to change with the times, I think we too easily turn our backs uh, on those great things uh, that we've had all along. Um, and and really, I would just say recommitting uh, to many of them is, is something that is, that is very necessary. Uh, I guess the greatest guardrail that comes to mind naturally for me right now, Jeffrey, in this time uh, in place where we are as a country, is we need to get out there uh, amongst the, uh, the, the the American people. The whole country, I think, needs to have a strong understanding that you can't take this for granted. Um, this democracy, these freedoms enshrined in our Constitution for us, um, this country that we live in, its greatness, our standard of living. The fact that we have such physical security from violence and war on our homeland. None of this can be taken for granted. We have to earn it. We have to ensure that it's there for us and for our children and for their children. And that's what we have to thank the past generations for. Um, I don't want to be here uh, if the ball drops. And I don't want to be responsible uh, if it does for the next generation. Uh, but I think people take it for granted. And, and growing up, I certainly, you know, no one taught me that I shouldn't. Uh, I learned it the hard way, serving the country in uniform, the Marine Corps Infantry in Afghanistan, Iraq, where I can tell you I saw developing, would be demo- developing democracies, struggling uh, and fighting it out physically uh, <laughs> where they live, on their streets, where their families are. We don't want that here in the United States of America, but it can, it can happen. And I think people assume wrongly that it couldn't. And I think just having that collective understanding is a great guardrail to start with, Jeffrey, uh, because, you know, 
when I, people sometimes ask me, Jared, how far will you go in, in work trying to work with Republicans? Most of the time, the people that will ask me that think I'm being naive for even trying. My answer is I have to keep trying no matter what, because I think that's how far we have gone in the wrong direction in this country right now, how dangerous this time could be potentially and in the years ahead. My obligation is to continue to reach across the aisle and work with Republicans because I don't think we have any other rational or responsible choice than to live together in this country peacefully and, and, and to work together for, for the best interests of the country. Because I don't want to imagine, I don't think people can imagine what the alternative could look like, but it's, it doesn't take a lot of creativity if you just do some research and look around the world. So. Bravo. Having a collective understanding of the importance of bipartisan deliberation to preserve the union, you said is important. It sounds, of course, like Benjamin Franklin, a, a republic, if you can keep it. And that's, of course, why all of you is playing such a crucial role in public education. And the Constitution Center can help play a role in, in educating people about civics and the Constitution. So that underlying value, the importance of deliberation, is inspired uh, and maintained by all. Uh, Representative Houlihan, your guardrails and your final thoughts. Sure. And th and thanks again for convening this really important conversation. And I would uh, echo what, what Jared talked about. And part of the reason why Four Country exists and why I hope it will be such a powerful force for good is exactly what we're talking about right now, which is we have to work with one another. We cannot not work with one another. I was really pretty uh, struck by, of course, January 6th and did a lot of soul searching myself personally on you know, where my boundaries were, where my guardrails were, and decided emphatically that I have to continue to move forward. I have to reach out across the aisle and, and frankly, within my own party, uh, because that has to be the way that we move forward. Uh, what I would say, the thing that we can collectively agree on in four country in the two years that we've existed, two and a half years that we've existed, is the importance, to your point, of uh, understanding civics and our civic uh, responsibility, understanding how we're a part of that process, even if we're not elected officials, we're a part of the electorate. Uh, and I, so I have been advocating along with our four country caucus for that kind of civic engagement and civic education. We've also collectively been very strongly advocating for the importance of national service. It's not a coincidence that we're all here and we've all worn the uniform. Uh, it's, it's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. It's why we think that we can be effective um, representatives of our communities partially. But also, we, sh we should turn that outward and say, what's wrong with our country right now has a little bit to do with we're not talking to one another, we're not working with one another, we don't see one another, we don't collide with one another, to use a, a molecular analogy, we're not reacting uh, with one another. And national service is part of the solution, I believe, to that. And that, I think, is why we have come together as a caucus to say this is something we're working to move forward. And if there's something you guys can do at the Constitution Center to help us elevate and underscore the importance of national service of all forms, that would be helpful. You know, not just wearing a uniform, but city or Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, te you know, Teach for America, the Senior Corps, you know, uh, Conservation Corps, you, you name it. These are opportunities to grow yourself as an individual and as a citizen, but also force multipliers, uh, to use a military term, uh, to make sure that that, that person uh, can, can, can elevate uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of other people as well with their service. Thank you so much for that. You said I have to reach out across the aisle in order to make the country work. And uh, the 
inspired a CERT Act, which you have uh, supported, which would uh, support not only national service, but also prioritize civic education is such a great example of that. And the Constitution Center would be honored to work with you uh, and your caucus, uh, both on and with honor on behalf of national service and civics education. Uh, Representative Meyer. No, thank you, Jeff, and, and I really appreciate the National Constitution Center and with Honor Action for having us here today. Um, you know, I, I got involved at the federal level in politics actually through with Honor very early on because I think there was a collective feel amongst a lot of veterans that um, we have an important voice to bring to this table because we know that what the government does and what the government doesn't do, lives hang in that balance. And now. We may have experienced that in the context of an overseas conflict, um, but as we as we see that conflict or that that sense of tension come home, and, and to Jared's point, I mean, I I feel a deep sense of gratitude having spent three years between Iraq and Afghanistan as a combatant, as a non-combatant, as a soldier, as a civilian. Um, I appreciate the fact that what we have here in this country did not arrive at by accident. This is intentional. It's the the effort. It's not just what was done. It's what was prevented from having had happened. And there are certainly a lot of mistakes made along the way. There's a reason why in our preamble it says, you know, a more perfect union, an emphasis on constantly evaluating, improving, you know, a little bit of self-criticism, but not so much that we don't appreciate all the good things that we have. Uh, and I, I, I have that strong sense of feeling and debt and obligation that has been paid for in blood and sacrifice and weigh that against the accelerationists who are, are pining for a military coup or, or pining for a civil war who just want to have everything get burned down because maybe they'll, um, maybe they'll win out in a zero-sum world. And, and to me, that's an incredibly dark and dangerous worldview. It, it doesn't have a political party. It's, it is this nihilistic trend that I think is a, a byproduct of modernity. Uh, but to Chrissy's point, I mean, how we piece together a country where, you know, if you have uh, if people are born apart, right, you can uh, be separated by geography, separated by income, separated by education, separated by occupation. It's really just in jury duty in the post office that we all come together. And then having some shared collective investment in this project of which we all hold a responsibility um, and, and achieving that through national service, I think, is frankly a, a priority. I mean, that helps address the root causes of the lack of trust, of the alienation, of the the, the feeling of, of being disconnected from what binds us all together as Americans. So I'm, I'm excited that the four country is working on these issues and, um, and really feel that, you know, we owe it to the nation to give it a shot. We can't just escape into cynicism and, um, and that, that sense of isolation, because this is something that we have to own and have a responsibility for on behalf of the hundreds of thousands of constituents in each of our districts. We have to own and have a sense of responsibility for, and what, a, what, a, what an inspiring uh, parsing of the words, a more perfect union, always improving, but not so much that we uh, fall apart and forget what binds us as uh, the United States of America. Uh, Representative Miller Meeks, the last word in this memorable conversation is to you. Well, thank you very much. And um, uh, I heard some channeling, channel, channeling of Ronald Reagan there uh, by what our country is and how important it is to protect democracy and protect those values. So part of that is, number one, 
you know, are we educating people on what the values are of the United States, what it stands for, how it was developed and came about, so that there is this love of country, love of the Constitution that is our foundation. So that's number one. Number two, what has evolved in Congress and in the federal government with more and more reliance on executive orders. And so uh, to me, it seems that there is, Congress has uh, abdicated its responsibility to be a co-equal branch of government. And I think it's very important. And I know it's not the same regular order that Jared was talking about with, you know, within Congress itself, the House having regular order, but also within the three branches of government. And I think that's important. And then the third thing is, and I'll mention this, and you brought it up and you said Twitter, and then that's the media. Um, and how does the media inter interplay in this? I think a free, free, free press, uh, freedom of the press, freedom of speech is extraordinarily important uh, in a democracy. Uh, and that means that there has to be some objectivity and fairness in our media because the media is a watchdog over government, not government by Republicans or government by Democrats, but government in general to hold government accountable. And I think one example of that is what we see right now with the origins of uh, uh, COVID-19. Uh, and how that, st that story was suppressed and why it's very important that we investigate and we find out more about it. So I just, because um, I know we're out of time, those are three things I would say, um, you know, education and uh, a constitution, are we teaching that? Uh, is that uh, promoted within our educational system, K through 12, especially civics, as you mentioned, uh, executive orders and uh, the uh, co-equal branch of government as the House uh, Congress should be and then the media and, and the role the media plays in holding government accountable, not government of one party, but by, by government of all party. Wonderful. What a, what a productive and uh, galvanizing uh, summary to this great discussion. Education, especially in civics and the Constitution, uh, ensuring that Congress does its job and not delegating its power to the executive branch and uh, media that exercises oversight function and promotes deliberation. So your uh, thanks for this, appearing on this amazing panel, of course, is more homework, which is that uh, with honor and the Constitution Center, we'll hope to convene you again in various forms so that we can produce a report with concrete proposals for uh, cultural, technological, and constitutional reforms in all the ways that you've just identified. Um, and I have to say, uh, on behalf of the Constitution Center and all of our great audience, thank you for being an inspiring model of what representatives in America are supposed to be, which is to represent not only the immediate passions of the people, but also our highest constitutional ideals, the ones that bind us as we the people and that ensure that we are always becoming a more perfect union of the United States of America. Uh, Representative Chrissy Houlihan, Jared Golden, Peter Meyer, and Marionette Miller-Meeks, thank you so much for your service to the USA and for participating in this wonderful panel. And thanks to all of our friends for listening. Hope to reconvene soon. Thank you. This program was presented with support from With Honor Action. It's part of the National Constitution Center's Restoring the Guardrails of Democracy initiative. This episode was produced by me, Jackie McDermott, along with Tanea Tauber, Lana Ulrich, and John Guerra. It was engineered by David Stotts. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Live at the National Constitution Center on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And join us back here next week. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jackie McDermott.